So I'll tip my cards. Uh, two things I want to have happen today. I want, you to, I, I want you to go home and read the book of Proverbs, um, and I want you to, to seek wisdom. That's really what I want to have happen by the end of this sermon. We, in this room, in this city, we are overwhelmed by information. I mean, you, you in a, the amount of information that was available in the U.S. to a previous generation, the amount of information that was available to them in their lifetime could be um, compiled into one edition of, to, of the New York Times. We, on the other hand, have an immense amount of information at our fingertips. Arguments at the dinner table are not fun anymore because whenever you begin to argue about who won this game or about this movie or that, within a split second, you pull out your iPhone and you immediately can Wikipedia and have an answer. There are no like long, drawn-out arguments about who was the greatest baseball player of all time. We could pull up and find the batting records. The other thing, the other thing is you can, you can take your phone out, you can hear a song, take the phone out, and think, oh, that's, that's Miley Cyrus. And then next thing you know, you're like, huh, I wonder what happened to Miley Cyrus. Is she still around? And so then you, you go to the internet and you pull up a web page and you start reading about Miley Cyrus. And next thing you know, you're reading an article on the over-sexualization of youth. And then you're like, is, is Disney still around? Is Disney still a thing? And then, and then you're reading an article about Walt Disney and the creation of Disney World. And then somehow, before you know it, you are on BuzzFeed and you're taking a quiz on which Hannah Montana character am I? And this all happens within a split second. And if you think about it, in our city, we all want to be in the know. We want to be, be abreast of whatever the latest and best thing is. And in fact, there's a bit of shame that we feel if we don't know the latest information. So for example, you, know, you and some friends are hanging out, and they'll say something like, um, hey, have you been to, and then you fill in the restaurant. I was thinking about this. For me, I would, like my answer would be to Rose's Luxury, because last time before I had uh, Eloise, that's like the last time I went out to eat. Anyway, I'd say, have you been to Rose's Luxury? Or you fill in whatever the hip new thing is. And if you're like, no, I haven't been there yet. I'm like, oh, you haven't been to that new place? It's almost like we're shamed for not knowing new information. It's the air we breathe. And, and the problem is, is that we are overwhelmed by information. Our challenge is not a lack of information. Our challenge is a lack of wisdom. The problem with information is that information has a shelf life. So do you remember a few years ago um, when the, the compound where Osama bin Laden was staying was uh, attacked by Navy SEALs? And there's like a dude who's outside the compound who's on Twitter, and he starts tweeting, gunfire helicopters outside Osama's compound or something like that. Well, within minutes, he has a million followers because he is privy to information that no one else in the globe is privy to. And so he has a million or two million followers on Twitter. Well, he still, to this day, is trying to milk that, that, that wave that started back then. But no one cares anymore. No one remembers that he exists, that he exists anymore. Right? Because it has information as a self-life. It's your 15 seconds of fame. Or I think about information this way. So when I fly, my wife does not let me, um, does not let me have the, uh, the boarding pass. Because way too many times, we'd end up at the gate and um, She'd say, hey, do you have your boarding pass? And I was like, no, don't you have my boarding pass? And then there's this frantic dash, and then we're running back to the coffee shop, seeing if I left it there. 
And so she will not let me have the boarding pass because it's like gold, right? You guard that boarding pass with everything until you get on the plane. And the moment you step on the plane, it becomes like a bookmark. And by the end of the flight, that thing that was so precious before is wadded up on the ground. It doesn't matter. Information is like that. We consume information. It is the most important thing in the moment. And then within 15 seconds, it is like the wadded up boarding pass on the floor. But then we get this book called Proverbs. And Proverbs is wisdom that has been passed down, is compiled wisdom of God and God's people that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation and continues speaking afresh and anew to us. From the beginnings, Proverbs lets you know that its purpose, its design, is to help you become wise, not simply to gain knowledge. The point of Proverbs is to help you gain a set of skills for living well in God's world. The point of Proverbs is essentially to help you learn to live the good life. Proverbs, or wisdom, in the book of Proverbs, we discover something called wisdom. Um, the Hebrew word is chokmah. Um, chokmah, you've got to say it with a, like you're clearing your throat. I'm, my Hebrew pronunciations are a little chokmah. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at languages. Um, but, but the idea, Robert's here. Um, <laughs> um, the idea is in Proverbs, or the idea is actually not just in Proverbs, but all throughout Scripture, is that wisdom is a force. It is an attribute of God, and it is the thing that God uses at the beginning to create the world. Wisdom is part of the creation that God creates. It is an attribute of God. But the cool thing about wisdom, at least what Scripture tells us about wisdom, is it is not only an attribute of God, but it is something that humans can also possess. Wisdom is a force in the world which all of us need. And all of you, on a daily basis, are, fo are faced with decisions. And, and, and some of the decisions, like what car to buy or which prescription to get, honestly, could be decided by an algorithm. You put in the right information, you give it the right parameters, and it spits out the answer. But for a vast number of decisions that you make, information is only going to get you so far. Who do you marry? Do you get married? Who should you date? What career should you go into? What school should you attend? Should I stay or should I go? You know, that, you know this because each of you has wrestled through one of these decisions. And even though you have all the information in the world, you, you feel stuck. In fact, some of you right now have a pit in the, your stomach. There's a clenching in your stomach because you have a decision that you need to make, that you have all the knowledge you need, and you just cannot pull the trigger. You need wisdom. And in this time that where we are, where we have set, where we're obsessed with information, as we get smarter and collect more data points, life should get easier. But yet, life is actually getting harder. Right? We seem the more information we have, the more foolish we become. And here's here's what I want us to remember: is that information is consumed, but wisdom is lived. Douglas Rushkoff says information today is like stepping into a river where it's coming at you like a gush of water that overwhelms you. And wisdom is like a container which you keep and cherish and hold. Wisdom must be lived. It has a communal element. Wisdom challenges us in the way that information doesn't. 
Gerhard von Rad, who's an Old Testament uh, theologian, he wrote one of the kind of preeminent um, commentaries on, uh, on the book of Proverbs. He, this is a paraphrase, but he essentially says this, wisdom is becoming competent with regards to the realities of life. It's knowing how things really happen, knowing how the things really are in the world, and knowing what to do about it. And so Proverbs comes in, and the first nine chapters of Proverbs essentially kind of set up a framework for wisdom. And then from chapters 10 forward, we begin to get all these um, sayings and instructions on how to live a wise life. So Proverbs opens this way. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs 1, beginning with verse 2. Proverbs 1, beginning with verse 2. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, Righteousness and justice and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, to let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and learning, and the discerning acquire skill, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then, so Proverbs is saying, this is why the book exists. And then finally it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs, we get the idea of wisdom pitted against the idea of foolishness. And we are challenged and called to live a wise life. And the book of Proverbs opens up with 10, son, 10 speeches from a father to a son. And just as a side note, um, when I read through Scripture, I tend to... Um, I tend to notice that often when it says sons or uses man, it's referring to humanity or to a wider. It's just kind of the culture it was written in. It'll use men or man instead of humanity. Right? And so in this case, when I read Proverbs, I want to say, well, these are, these are instructions written to everyone, which I actually believe. But I've also seen statistics on young men and like their, their accidental death rate, and it's, it's ridiculous. I think there is something to the fact that young men just need wisdom a bit more. They're, young men can be a bit dumb. This is, not, this, is, this is not a joke. Young men, up until the age of 25, have this ridiculous high accidental death rate. And then at age 25, like it just plummets. They have finally, something happens, they're like, oh, I'm not indestructible. Anyway, that was free. Um, so it opens with these 10 speeches to a son, and then, and then we begin getting all these sayings that we know so well. But one of the things I think we need to know about Proverbs is that Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. And the reason I want to make that distinction is because how many of you have heard someone quote something maybe about you, or maybe you've quoted this? A saying that will go something like this, train up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. Well, that's in Proverbs, and if that's a promise of God, you raise a child well, and then that child will live well. Now, the, the truth is, the chances are, if you raise a child well, if you raise them according to wisdom, that when they grow up, they will continue to live wisely. But some of you are living proof that that does not always work out that way, right? Like, and what happens is when we, when we make Proverbs, when we make Proverbs to be a promise instead of a probability, when someone is outside that area, when you have a kid that goes off the rails, the immediate reaction is, well, it's, clearly it's the parent's fault. They must have done something wrong. 
Proverbs focuses on the general rule, not the exception. But chokmah, or wisdom, assumes that there is a way the world works, that there is a way that the universe is ordered. The universe is ordered in a particular way. And, and wisdom assumes that if you go with the grain of the universe, goodness will come to you. Wisdom will come to you. But if you, if you go against the grain of the universe, then folly will befall you. And, and, and honestly, this is a, like the, the, the information that's contained in, in, in um, the book of Proverbs, so much of it's still relevant for us today. There is, it seems to be a way that the world is ordered, and if we live in accordance with that, things go well. The, the best like, example I have of this from kind of history is the quote by Dr. King that says, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Right? This is essentially what Proverbs is saying. Proverbs is saying the arc of the moral universe is long, and it bends this particular way. And if you lean into wisdom, if you lean into this way of living, you will have a good life. Now, Job will come along and say, that's crap. Like, there are instances where you live as well as you possibly can, and life does not go well. Tim Keller says this, though, and this is key. He said, Proverbs was written to be a manual to be gone through in community under wise parents and then later on wise mentors. Because when you just sit down and read Proverbs on your own, you tend to absolutize things that were meant to be instructions. You, you, you aren't able to contextualize them. So when, when you sit down and retrain up a child in the way they should go and they'll not depart from it, you, you read it and say, well, this seems like a promise from God. And, and, but when you read in community with other wise mentors, they're able to say, yes, you do the best you can. But there are moments when life does not go as you plan. Like, it's Proverbs is not meant to be read in a vacuum. It is accumulated insight of God's people throughout the generations. It's a reflection, Proverbs reflects on the past to guide the future. And, and what we find is, is sayings and advice on everything under the sun. There is, there is advice on family and sex and poverty and work and marriage and money and alcohol and debt. And everything that we read in chapters 10 through 29 is filtered through 1 through 9. And, and, and then you, you, the other thing you find in Proverbs, so you find these, all these instructions on how to live well. And, and some of them are moral, right? There are moral um, phrases or moral um, instructions in Proverbs. But Proverbs was never meant to be a rule book. But instead, Proverbs was meant to be instruction on how to live well. So not following a proverb is not particularly a sin. Being foolish is not a sin. It's just stupid. Um, but we find sayings like this. It says, for example, in Proverbs 14, 4, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Now, I've read this 10 times, and I just always gloss over it, never really thought about it. But if you think about it, basically what the passage is saying is, look, if you don't have an ox, you don't have to clean up their crap. But if you want an abundant harvest, if you want to be successful, if you want to accomplish something in life, you're going to need a little help, which means it's going, you're going to need an ox, which means there's going to be additional work. Or as Nike would say, no pain, no gain. Right? This is the message of, this is the message of Proverbs, which I think is a, particularly applicable to our generation or Millennials, I'm kind of on the edge. Um, to millennials, because so many of us, 
you have more, you're smarter than any generation before you. I mean, the amount of information that you have, you have attained. And so it's easy to begin to think that like you deserve, the moment you graduate from college, you deserve the corner office. But Proverbs wants to say, Proverbs wants to say that you need that to gain, to, to be successful in life, you need to grind out night after night writing TPS reports if you want to be, it's like two people seeing office space in the room. I asked this morning, I, you realize the cultural references, um, you realize you're getting old when your cultural references are, are lost on people? And so this morning I said, how many people have seen office space? So when I was in college, office space was every, we could quote office space backwards and forwards. And then people that like, office space? Never seen it. Anyway, um, wisdom of the past, that was, has nothing to do with this sermon. Wisdom of the past, wisdom of the past has a way of messing with the present. It deconstructs our ideas about the world. And so I want to I just quickly, I have four quick comments or thoughts about wisdom. Um, Mark Sarris, who's a pastor in Australia, talks about information this way. He says, we have a tendency to take information and to put it into pre-existing silos to support our biases. Essentially, we have a confirmation bias. And so this happens all the time. We gather information, but it doesn't make us wiser because all we do is we take information and then we put it in a silo to support our point of view. This is why we are easier to be manipulated than, I mean, this may be an exaggeration, but it seems like we are, it's very easy to manipulate us today. Because what happens is people take information and then twist the information to fit a particular narrative. And when it matches the narrative that you agree with, you're like, yeah, that sounds right to me. And this happens on both sides, right? Whether you're wherever you fall on a spectrum, it's so easy to allow to put information into pre-existing um, silos that all it does is supports your narrative of the world, your particular truthiness without any examination. And, and we've allowed this to make us easy to manipulate. So we take a, the news story of the day and without any context or nuance, fit it into a box that supports our point of view. And wisdom at its best, wisdom at its best doesn't let you do this. Wisdom says you need to pause, you need to slow down, you need to evaluate, you need to listen to the past and tradition and to other voices. Wisdom says you need to hear the voice of the community. Second, wisdom challenges us or challenges our prejudices towards the world that we inhabit. No one would say this openly, but those of us who live in global cities like DC and like San Francisco and New York, we have a tendency to believe that we have reached the, like, the ultimate of knowledge. If the rest of the world lived like us and was as smart as us and had all the information and education that we have, that things would be just better for everyone. We live in this bubble. And, and, and the problem is, is that we begin to think that what, the way that we live in our particular view of the world does not need to be questioned. So I've been at, this, I mean, I've been at dinner parties where people have talked about people where they said, well, they really, you know, they came from, you know, whatever the background is, so they need to examine their narrative of the world. But the underlying, the underlying commentary was, well, I have the right view and I don't need to examine my view of the world. And the phrase that's really beginning to sit with me lately is from an old professor where someone said, uh, someone in the class, anyone ever taught like college or 
taught anything. There's like there's someone always says something dumb in the class, and and um, the professor like shuts them down. And a student says, "I thought all of us had an equal voice." And the professor said this. He said, "Everyone has a voice if they have the humility to realize they might be wrong." And I think creating this this hermeneutic of charity, right, or this hermeneutic of of humility, where we read information, and we read the news of the day, and we view other people through a hermeneutic of humility and charity, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Because so often, it's easy to become so encapsulated, encaptured, whatever the word is there, in our own bubble, that we begin to think that we have it all figured out, and there's no introspection. There's no humility on our part. And, and, and Proverbs says, look, Proverbs says you don't have it all figured out. Next, wisdom challenges, and this is tied with the previous, but wisdom challenges our obsession with youth. In this city, it is easy to believe that the world is just getting younger and younger. I mean, when I, look, when I walk down the street, I begin to forget that anyone over the age of 60 exists. And then I go back to visit my mom in her town. I'm like, there's old people in the world. It's the weirdest thing, because we forget about it. And, and we, we idolize youth. I mean, we spend every day when we get off work, we go to Soul Cycle or to Orange or to whatever thing that makes you almost want to die so that we can stay fit. And then we go to a juice bar and we have vegan diets and paleo and all these other things so that we can stay perpetually young. But what Proverbs tells us is that gray hair is a crown, that there's something to be, gained, be gained from the wisdom of doing life. And it's there's not something inherently that makes you wise just because you get older. I've met some grandparents who prove that that's true. But then you meet someone. There's this, actually, does anyone like Malcolm Gladwell? Um, he has a podcast called Revisionist History, and he's got a particular uh, episode on there called Generous Orthodoxy. And it's this interview with a 95-year-old Mennonite pastor who his whole life has sought God and, and sought to grow in wisdom. And I mean, you just sit there listening to this story and you just, I mean, the power of this person's testimony just comes through because they've spent their entire life seeking wisdom. And there's something we can learn from listening to people who have gone before us, who, who've lived life situations before us. This is one of my, the greatest challenges or one of the large challenges of pastoring in DC is that Look around the room. You, there's like a spectrum of like three or four years. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fairly, most of you are fairly close in age. Like I'm becoming the wise old man in the room, and I'm not that old. And, and we need the wisdom of the past, right? There's something, there's something of, there's wisdom in to talk, there's, there's a power in listening to people who've walked the road before you, right? Whether it's in your career or whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in your faith journey. Because some of you are just for the first time hitting a moment where you're like on a high all through college, and then you get to DC and life isn't working out, and, and, and you pray and your prayers seem to bounce off the ceiling. And you need someone to say, that's okay, like that happens. There are moments in our lives where God seems distant, but let me tell you, let me tell you about the other side. Proverbs tells us that when we sacrifice wisdom, we sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. When, when we don't listen to the wisdom of the past, that we often end up sacrificing the future. Fourth, 
Proverbs challenges and exposes our autonomy. To be wise, to be wise, you have to submit yourself to something bigger than yourself. Proverbs is an older adult figure teaching someone who admits that they don't have it all together. You don't gain wisdom or chokmah by simply Googling information. Instead, it's gained through an ongoing relationship. Proverbs essentially talks about foolishness. Proverbs talks about foolishness as a one-night stand. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's this thing that you, it's information you gain and then it's gone. But then Proverbs talks about wisdom as a monogamous covenantal relationship. It is this ongoing love affair. It is not something that you immediately attain and then discard, but it is like a journey. And, and the, the challenge is, the challenge is, is that wisdom is often passed through traditions and institutions. And we live in a culture that wants to tear everything down and deconstruct everything. And this is, the reason we do is because our institutions and our traditions are broken. They are in need of healing. But there is still something to be gained from the past. There's still something to be gained from the institutions. I, I, I was thinking about this. Most people in our church, or a significant number of people in our church, have, are coming out of something. So maybe you grew up Roman Catholic, and faith was too impersonal. And so you like a more personal faith that you might discover here at the table. Or on the other side, you might be coming out of like a crazy charismatic church where people are getting slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues, and you like the fact that we come to the, the Eucharist every single week. Or others of you are coming from like this crazy liberal tradition where if, if you were in a church, like Jesus got talked about like once a year on Easter. Um, and then others of you are coming from a tradition that was so incredibly conservative and that the Bible was used as a club to bludgeon you and to make you feel as less than. And so we're all coming from all these different places. And what we tend to do is tend, we want to abandon the, 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 the wisdom of the past. And what I want to challenge us on is this, is that there is a beauty in where you came from. There's brokenness. They're screwed up. You're broken. You're screwed up. Right? We all are. Right? It's, but there's still something that we can be gained from. I, I had a friend who was an academic. Um, he's just a brilliant philosopher. And he came from a, a more charismatic tradition. And so once he like, gained all this head knowledge, he was ready to jettison his past. Um, he's like, that's all you know, hokey stuff for people in backwoods areas. And someone set him down, like another academic who was a wise mentor. And he said, there is a power in your past. He's like, something happens in the moment when you come to an altar and people gather around you and lay their hands on you and pray for you. That can't be explained. Like, there is power, there's power that's brought into your story. If you are coming from a more formal tradition, there is a power in that liturgy. Now, it became so rote that it didn't matter anymore, but there's a power in, in quoting and saying words that have been passed down for 2,000 years. And so wherever it is that you are coming from, taking the wisdom of the past into the future, institutions, traditions need to be healed, and the brokenness and the, the, the dark side needs to be exposed and brought into the light. But the only way that brokenness and darkness can be can be healed is by exposing it. So it doesn't mean we don't talk about the brokenness of the past, but also it means we don't jettison everything that we gain from it. Does that make sense? Maybe that's just, maybe that's just for me. Our world is groaning and longing for people who are wise. 
I think now more than ever, our world is hungering for people who have wisdom, who can help us sort through all this information and figure out a way forward. But what Scripture tells us is that ultimately wisdom is found in the person of Jesus. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. Paul says, I, made a servant of this gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light about the administration of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. There is, there is so, this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church and through the rulers and the authorities in heaven. We can only discover and find ultimately the wisdom of God. We can only become wise as we follow Jesus. Right? Jesus shows us in the flesh what it looks like to live as a wise person. And some of you are sitting here and you have for too long made foolish choices and you desperately want to be wise. And to you, I challenge you to chase after God, to chase after Jesus, to chase after wisdom. Chasing wisdom is not chasing information, but it is a love affair. It is a love affair with God and with Jesus and with wisdom that continues wooing and drawing you. Matthew 12, 42 says, the wisdom of Jesus is far greater than the wisdom of Solomon, who is seen as being the wisest person who'd ever lived. And so today, this evening, some of you are feeling paralyzed by choices ahead in your work, in your relationships. You're not sure how to make a decision. And so I want to invite you to just, for one week, seven days, to make this commitment. Read Proverbs, maybe a chapter, maybe a verse. I don't know how much you can get done in the morning. But make a commitment to read some from Proverbs. And then I just want you to pray this simple prayer, just for seven days. God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. Show me. God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. Show me. Proverbs opens up this, with these words that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Another way of saying that is not that we should be fearful, but saying wisdom begins by humbling ourselves. Wisdom begins by acknowledging and admitting that we don't have it all figured out. And this is not a sermon that I am preaching to you and I am up here as someone who has it all figured out. I'm more preaching it to myself and you all kind of get to hang out and listen. Because as a leader, as a leader, I love information. Data sets are my friend. And I sometimes think as a pastor that if I can just get all the right information and all the right data, we will have the greatest church in the world, right? People will, will have a thousand baptisms a Sunday and we'll do away with, you know, the poverty in the city will be banished and homelessness will be no more and we'll have a, no one, there will be no need for affordable housing because everyone will be housed if we just have the right information It's just around the next bend. But Proverbs challenges me and says, if you are going to lead in the way of Jesus. You will never lead well simply with information, but only by seeking the wisdom of God. And so I pray that this prayer, I am praying this prayer with you. I am praying that God would make me wise. I am acknowledging what I don't, that I know so little, and seeking the heart of God. Would you pray with me?
Spirit, we just thank you. Holy Father, we just thank you for the wisdom of the ages, for people who sat and, write down, sat and wrote down these words on chokmah, on wisdom. And I pray that you would just create a hunger and a desire in our heart that we might for wisdom, that we might be wise. And that you would help us to, be, to humble ourselves before you and acknowledge we are in desperate need of your wisdom. And then may we become the mediators of your wisdom to a world that is hungry for wisdom. Amen.